Welcome to the January 21st, 2021 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we will review a study that shows neutrophils are required for optimum recovery from acute lung injury in a murine model. Examine the implication of germline genetic factors in the myeloproliferative neoplasm, polycythemia vera, and learn about the use of emicizumab for bleeding control in a small study of patients with acquired hemophilia A. Our first topic is a study entitled, Neutrophils Promote Clearance of Nuclear Debris Following Acid-Induced Lung Injury conducted by Joseph Ovid, Andrew Paris, and colleagues from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the Perelman School of Medicine of the University of Pennsylvania. Neutrophil recruitment to sites of sterile tissue injury is commonly observed, yet the significance is largely unknown. Data from a number of previous studies suggests that neutrophil accumulation at sites of sterile inflammation is deleterious and perpetuates pathology in disorders such as systemic lupus erythematosus, sepsis, arteriosclerosis, and most recently, COVID-19. However, other studies show that neutrophils recruited to sites of sterile injury remove damaging materials and facilitate tissue repair. The authors of the current study previously demonstrated that neutrophil accumulation in the lung after acid aspiration is necessary for repair. However, the mechanisms by which neutrophils facilitate lung repair are unknown, though in models of sterile liver injury, neutrophils have been previously shown to take up small DNA particles, resulting in improved revascularization. In this study, Oved and colleagues observed accumulation of nuclear debris in the lungs of neutropenic mice exposed to acid injury compared to wild-type mice. The increased DNA debris in neutropenic mice was associated with dysregulated alveolar repair. The authors found that neutrophils in these damaged lungs differentially expressed high levels of DNA-degrading enzymes compared to bone marrow neutrophils, and that they had acquired the ability to efficiently phagocytose extracellular DNA and degrade it. In the absence of neutrophils, DNA-containing debris accumulated and interfered with tissue repair. Interestingly, intratracheal administration of the DNase-1 enzyme could replace the need for neutrophils and similarly resulted in DNA debris elimination and improved healing of lung tissue. Finally, the authors showed that neutrophils exposed to the sterile inflammatory milieu acquired the ability to sense DNA, possibly involving signaling pathways utilizing the toll-like receptor adapter protein MYD88, suggesting involvement of this signaling pathway. Thus, the authors conclude that their study data elucidates new neutrophil functions during inflammation that are an integral and critical part of the inflammatory response, wherein neutrophils engulf and degrade extracellular DNA fragments and allow for optimal organ repair. Christian Yost from the University of Utah suggests in an accompanying commentary that an interesting question raised by Ovid and colleagues was whether neutrophils in other types of inflammatory milieu, sterile or otherwise, are required to aid in the clearance of DNA-containing debris. Further, given the known link between failed clearance of self-DNA debris and autoimmune disease clearly demonstrated in other studies, 
failure of neutrophil-mediated self-DNA debris clearance, as demonstrated in this model, could contribute to an increased risk for autoimmune disease in patients with inflammatory syndromes. Our next topic is a study entitled Germline Genetic Factors Influence Outcome of Interferon Alpha Therapy in Polycythemia Vera, performed by Roland Jaeger at the University of Vienna and other colleagues in Vienna, Austria. Polycythemia vera, or PV, is a BCR-able-negative myeloproliferative neoplasm resulting from the transformation of hematopoietic stem cells leading to the overproduction of mature cells, including red blood cells, platelets, and granulocytes. Interferon-alpha-based therapies have the capacity to induce sustained hematologic responses and durable molecular responses in polycythemia vera and other myeloproliferative neoplasms. In PV therapy, hematologic response, or HR, is indicated by normalization of blood values, whereas molecular response marks a substantial reduction of the malignant clone in the peripheral blood quantified by the allelic burden of the JAK2B617F mutation that drives the disease in 95% of patients with PV. Interferon-alpha therapy has been consistently reported to have a disease-modifying capacity by selectively targeting the malignant stem cells. Interferon-alpha induces hematologic responses in about 70% of PV patients and a major molecular response in about 20%. However, there are significant side effects, such as flu-like symptoms, fatigue, and depression, and about 10% of patients cannot tolerate the drug. Thus, there is a considerable interest in being able to predict who will respond to alpha interferon. Previous studies have suggested that the known somatic mutations and genomic aberrations do not predict response to interferon alpha therapy. The role of germline polymorphisms on a genome-wide scale has not been studied comprehensively in myeloproliferative neoplasms treated with this therapy. Jaeger and team addressed the effect of the germline genetic factors on therapy outcome with ROPEG interferon alpha-2b, or ROPEG, a monopegylated interferon alpha therapy, in a cohort of 122 patients with PV treated in a clinical trial. They initially performed Genome-Wide Association Studies, or GWAS, as an unbiased approach, but found no allelic association with interferon-alpha-induced hematologic or molecular responses. The authors then examined in detail the impact of polymorphisms within a gene called interferon-lambda-4 that have previously been associated with a high response to interferon-alpha in another disease, hepatitis C virus infection of the liver. The interferon lambda-4 gene encodes a type of interferon protein that has antiviral properties, but paradoxically, it is the variants of the interferon lambda-4 gene that produce a non-functional protein that are linked to better clearance of HCV. The explanation for this paradox is not fully understood. Interestingly, when the authors examined the interferon lambda-4 gene in the same cohort of PV patients, they found that patients with complete loss or partial loss of function of interferon lambda-4 again had significantly higher molecular response rates to interferon alpha than patients with normal function. The rate of hematologic response was not affected, however. Jaeger and colleagues concluded that stratification of PV patients based on interferon lambda-4 functionality may allow for optimizing patient management during interferon alpha-based treatment. 
Isabel Plot and William Vainchenker from Paris-Saclay University in Villejuif, France, suggest in an accompanying commentary on the study entitled IFN Jekyll and Hyde that while the study importantly points to a favorable interferon lambda-4 genotype that should be taken into consideration in the treatment of PV with alpha-interferon-based treatment, it would be interesting to investigate in larger cohorts whether some genotypes are underrepresented in MPNs compared to control cohorts to better explore the role of interferon lambda-4 in disease development. Also, these authors stress that it is not yet clear why the loss of interferon lambda-4 function predicts a good response in PV patients, just as it does in hepatitis C infection, and it will be important to determine the mechanism of this surprising result. Finally, it will also be important to determine if these effects hold true in other myeloproliferative syndromes, such as essential thrombocythemia. Our final manuscript today is a prospective study entitled Emicizumab for the Treatment of Acquired Hemophilia A, conducted by Paul Noble and colleagues at the Medical University of Vienna in Austria. Acquired hemophilia A, or AHA, is a rare autoimmune bleeding disease caused by autoantibodies that inhibit the function of coagulation factor 8. It requires prompt diagnosis and urgent treatment. AHA is characterized by the new onset of bleeding in 90% of affected patients and is severe in 70%. It primarily affects patients of older age, the median age reported being 74 years, and most patients have significant comorbidities. For initial hemostatic treatment, bypassing agents, such as recombinant activated human factor 7 or activated prothrombin complex concentrates, are standard of care and are highly effective in treating bleeding, with efficacy rates as high as 93%. However, factor 8 replacement with human factor 8 concentrates, either plasma-derived or recombinant, is effective only in patients with low inhibitor titers, where one can expect efficacy rates of about 70%. The use of recombinant porcine sequence factor 8 concentrates is also an option for patients without cross-reactivity. But while these therapies are effective, the need for frequent intravenous infusions, the high cost, and an increased risk of thromboembolic complications are major disadvantages. In this study, the authors tested the efficacy and safety of emicizumab, a bispecific factor VIII mimetic therapeutic antibody that has considerably reduced the annualized bleeding rates in congenital hemophiliacs, including those with and without inhibitors. Preclinical data and the pathophysiological concept suggested emicizumab would be effective for treatment of AHA, but only single-case report data were previously available. The authors report a series of 12 patients with AHA in whom emicizumab was used as hemostatic therapy. The median age of patients was 74 years, and eight of the patients had severe bleeding. In addition to emicizumab treatment, patients also received immunosuppression with steroids and or rituximab. After the first dose of emicizumab, the activated partial thromboplastin test normalized in one to three days, and factor VIII activity exceeded 10% after a median of 11 days. Emicizumab controlled bleeding very rapidly, and factor VIII bypass therapies were stopped after a median of 1.5 days. Factor VIII activity exceeded 50% 
indicating complete remission after 115 days. And emicizumab was stopped after a median 31 days with a range of 12 to 175 days. In total, patients received three to nine doses of the drug, which was given as a subcutaneous injection. Fortunately, emicizumab has a half-life in humans of almost 30 days, so frequent injections are not needed. No patient died from bleeding or thromboembolism, and no breakthrough bleeding was observed after the first dose of emicizumab. The study team concluded that emicizumab was an effective hemostatic therapy for AHA. It provided good hemostatic efficacy, enabled early discharge, and was associated with less immunosuppression and very few adverse events. Ultimately, however, the authors note that prospective clinical trial data with sufficient subject cohort size is necessary to confirm the results of this small study in order to obtain approval of emicizumab for this indication. Commentary on the study was provided by Sergio Siragusa and Maria Santa Napolitano from University of Palermo Hemophilia Center in Giacone, Italy, who agreed that emicizumab possesses some incontrovertible and exciting advantages based on its subcutaneous route of administration and prolonged interval between injections, and they support its role as first-line treatment or when standard approach for AHA is ineffective. However, they also agree with the study authors that its clinical relevance needs to be validated in a prospective clinical trial. In addition, they state the study raises several intriguing questions, including, can emicizumab be administered as a first-line single-agent treatment for bleeding control in AHA? What is the optimal time interval between use of bypassing agents and emicizumab administration in AHA to avoid thrombotic risk? Does the long half-life of emicizumab expose it to long-term side effects in case of breakthrough bleeding? Overall, however, the results of emicizumab in this small study of AHA were extremely encouraging. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.